You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey friend, just a little uh, maybe not safe for work warning. I talk about penises a lot. So just before warned, picture this. You're walking down the road. It's around first century AD. You're on your way to the bakery to pick up some bread. You turn left at the giant flying penis statue, like you always do. You follow the other peepees that line the streets, and you see a group of kids running by with the protection penis necklaces around their necks. Just another regular peepee-filled day in Pompeii. Hey friend, welcome back to For the Love of History. I'm TK. And today, do I have a story for you. We're talking about Pompeii and peepees today. Just another little warning. All of the stuff I'm going to talk about and tell you about is historically accurate, but maybe not the safest topic for the workplace unless you have headphones. Then listen away, you little rebel. So grab what you need to get comfy, settle into your drive, bribe your cat to come snuggle you, and let's get started. In 1748, the city of Pompeii had been covered in ash and rock for about 1,600 years because of the eruption of Mount Vesuvius. The bustling and beautiful city had been forgotten until King Charles III of Bourbon had a team of slaves dig around the lost city. In the 1700s, it was a time of long dresses and big old hair, and being a proper lady or gentleman was of the utmost importance. So you can imagine how shocked Charlie Boy's court was when they were all gathered around the dig site to witness the first statue being brought up, and I cannot help but giggle because I know what's coming. The statue was large, with two figures. One, a half-man, half-goat, and the other, a full female goat. And uh, they were getting it on. They were getting it on in stone for eternity. That's right, the goat and the man were having sex. Charles and his court were shocked. And that wasn't the last of it. As more naked people and uh, penises and other sexually explicit things came up from the dig site, Charles had them all hidden away in the palace where they could only be seen if the king said it was okay. In order to see these artifacts, you had to be a person of great upstanding morality so as not to be corrupted by these terribly erotic artifacts. These sexy little pieces of history would be locked up for hundreds of years, making occasional appearances in museums and other places until the year 2000 when the National Archaeological Museum in Naples, Italy, opened up the Gabinetto Secreto. Sorry for my terrible Italian. But in English, it means the secret cabinet. The secret cabinet had been around for a long time, but it was not open to the public. So in 2000, it was opened up to the public, people over the age of 13 or people younger than 13 with parental supervision. But let's back up for a second. How did all those peepees get there? 
Why were they created in the first place? Weren't the Romans super proper people? They wouldn't have a huge penis party going on in one of Rome's most famous cities, would they? Oh friend, they totally did. To understand the PP hype, I have to talk about two important gods, Facinius and Priapus. Let's start with Priapus. Homi was a minor fertility god. He was the god of gardens, livestock, and also male genitalia. Yes, only male genitalia. There was a separate goddess for the female genitalia. So Priapus was always depicted as an older man or a very old man with long white beard and a penis that was laughably huge and always erect. In fact, his name is where we get the medical word priapism, the condition where you have a super long erection that just won't go away. So cool. Quick etymology lesson. In addition to being a minor fertility god, he was also supposed to bring good luck and fertility to those that worshipped him. Our next god is Facinius. And the very interesting thing about Facinius is that it's not an actual dude. It's a divine penis. That is the god. Just a penis. Now, I'll post a picture of Facinius on the Instagram, but I have to describe it to you here. I just want you to Picture it in your brain first before you see the actual picture. So Ficinius was depicted as an actual penis. The body was a penis. There was also testicles. The legs were penises. And it had a penis tail. Also wings because it could fly around blessing people. Which, cool. (laughs) Please, please go look at the Instagram post. It's amazing. So what did this flying PP do? Well, it brought good luck and protection from the evil eye, which was like the big bad spirit deity thing to the Romans. So not wanting to be cursed and wanting to bring good luck to themselves, people put this image everywhere, both of Facinius and Priapus. So please indulge me while I tell you a little bit of a personal story really quick. I lived in Germany for high school with my family, so we could pretty cheaply travel to different European countries. So we went to Pompeii, and uh, while we were there, we saw all of these penises. The Ficinius penises and the Priapus man giant penises penises. So it was me, my mom, my dad, and my brother. Me being a teenager and my brother being a little kid, you know, we giggled, we laughed at the peepees everywhere, but my mom thought these were the most hilarious pieces of artwork in the world. So in the gift shop, you could buy like a a coffee table book with all these different peepees. So what did my mother do? She bought one and she displayed it prominently on our coffee table in our living room for years. And we would all die laughing as people tried to awkwardly ask us 
Where did the book come from? Why do you have the book on the table? Or in the even funnier cases, when people just tried to ignore it altogether, but you could just see their eyes going to the giant stone penis picture on the front of this coffee table book. It was amazing. It was so good. One of my best high school memories. (laughs) Okay, so moving on. I know what you're thinking. TK, aren't all these penises a little bit vulgar? To many people's modern morality and sensibility, yeah, it's a little bit vulgar. But keep in mind the Romans had a much different feeling towards nudity and especially the male body. Society was totally different back then, and I would say it was much more accepting of what is now considered sexual deviance in many parts of the Western world. I am not saying it was better back then. I'm not saying there was more sexual freedom. What I am saying is that it was very different. Society viewed sex in a very different way. There was a lot of open sex, open sexuality back during this time, but it was not for everyone. It was for a select group of people, rich, free Roman men. They were free to basically just do kind of whatever they wanted. And yes, of course, rich, free women that were Roman did have sexual freedom as well. However, slaves, criminals, women, disobedient soldiers, and people in that category could all be punished with rape or sexual violence. And that was like a viable punishment. So once again... Not saying it was better, just saying it was different. So keeping all of this in mind, the Roman culture was very open about sex in any and all forms. And especially when it came to fertility. Fertility was a big deal. And I'm not just talking about like baby making fertility. I'm also talking about animal fertility and crop fertility. If you had no animals making babies, then you had no food. If you had no plants, making babies, then you had no food. If you had no people making babies, then you had no people. And people are society. And during this time, baby making was very one-sided and it was, you know, it was it was all about the penis. So the penis equaled power and good luck to the people of Pompeii and they ran wild with it. Since 1784, when the excavation of Pompeii began, there have been thousands of incredible and hilarious and erotic discoveries. You want a penis wind chime? You got it. You want erotic mosaics and frescoes? You got it. You want drinking cups that when filled with liquid had a penis that floated up in them? You got it. Your bakery needs some good luck? Put a penis on the oven. You're a farmer that wants to make sure that their crops are gonna grow? Erect a giant penis statue and hope for the best. You're just a regular person wanting to ward off evil. Wear a special amulet that is, you guessed it, a penis. And those are just a few of the discoveries that were made in Pompeii. But one of the most fascinating discoveries is of a public bathhouse with a ton of erotic mosaics and paintings. 
For a lot of people in the Western world, and more specifically in North America, myself included, before moving to Japan, and even now, I'm a little iffy about it, the thought of getting naked and bathing with complete strangers is enough to send people into a cold panic sweat. It's just not a thing that's usually done in North American culture. Public bathing was a huge part of Roman social life. It wasn't just a place to take a bath, but it was also a place to socialize, connect in the community, do sports, get a massage. There were spas. There were direct connections from the baths to the tavern and also to the entertainment districts. They were really little microcosms of society, and Pompeii had five major baths. And there were anywhere between 11,000 and 22,000 people in Pompeii at any given time. Time, and each bath could hold about 1,000 people at a time. So, you know, people be bathing pretty often. <laughs> Some were for the wealthy and more nobility, and others were for, you know, regular, regular, everyday people. The bath with all of the erotic and explicit images was the suburban thermal bath. So like I said, Pompeii was covered in ash and rock in 79 AD, and it basically froze Pompeii in time. The thing that makes paintings and mosaics and frescoes deteriorate is oxygen. So when these places were all sealed up because of the ash and volcanic rock and stuff like that, it sealed them off and basically preserved them in a super crazy way. So when archaeologists opened up these baths and different places, they found like almost pristine images pristine, you know, for like a 2,000-year-old situation, you know. But they were real, real good. Real good. So when these erotic images were first discovered, archaeologists thought that it was just another brothel. And the pictures were displaying services that this location would provide. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. But upon further research, this wouldn't make sense because prostitution was totally legal and there were many, many legal brothels. In fact, the state sanctioned and taxed prostitution. So there was really no need for this one bathhouse to also be a brothel because none of the other bathhouses had brothel facilities in them. But there was also another reason archaeologists began to doubt that this bath was also used as a brothel. Directly below these erotic images were numbers, and these were over rooms that looked like a locker room. So guests would pass through and enter these rooms first and take off their clothes and leave their belongings in this room so they would use these erotic images to remember where they left their clothes. I mean, you're definitely not going to forget that you left your pants in the giant flying penis room. But the paintings weren't the only thing that they found in the bathhouse. Once again, peepee statues and wall carvings and just general penis decorations were all up in that bathhouse. And to archaeologists, 
best knowledge. They weren't for arousal purposes, but to be funny and entertaining. Remember, people came to the bathhouses to get clean, but also to be entertained and socialize. And I'm sure it would be a great topic of conversation to be like, hey, have you seen this painting of this very explicit sexual act? Hilarious, right? Ha 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 ha. <laughs> but it wasn't just that PPs were funny. The popularity of erotic entertainment was made all the more popular with a certain elegy, which is kind of like a big long poem book. And the name of this elegy was called Ars Amatoria, which in English translates to the art of love. And it was basically an an instructional three-part book series by the ancient Roman poet Ovid, and it was written in 2 CE. Now, this was a scandalous romantic manual, and the first two books were aimed at men, and they contained sections which went over topics like how to make your lady love you and gave out pointers like don't forget her birthday, duh. Um, Also, let her miss you, but not for too long because she'll lose interest, and don't ask about her age. Still holds true to today. (laughs) And Ovid didn't leave out the ladies. In the third book, it gives similar advice to women. It talks about how to make up with your man, but doing it in private and being wary of false lovers. And also gave some pointers like try a young man and also try older lovers. Be adventurous in your sexual life. And you know what? I will say it again. Some of this information is still applicable today. So these three books were all about love and sex and sexual exploration and and all that good stuff. And people just ate it up. They loved it. Love and sexuality were hot topics and everybody wanted some sexy art. So with the popularity of this book, combined with the religious belief in the power of the flying penis, Ficinius, it was no wonder that the city of Pompeii and one of its most prominent bathhouses was covered in peepees. Now we have come to the final thought, my friend. And this week's final thought is... uh, One of my own stories. I have just been in a storytelling mood lately, a personal storytelling mood. So back when I lived in the States and I, you know, I was staying the night at my my second family's house and uh, me and my sister from another mister were up late doing our homework together. I was in university and I was doing a thesis paper on prostitution and penises in Pompeii. And on that night, I was reading a really interesting book about all of the different penis sculptures and carvings. And I was telling my sister, um, I was telling her, oh my gosh, you know, in Pompeii, they just have penises lining the streets, like on the sidewalks and stuff. And she looked at me with the most abject horror. And she was like, but how do they get all of those penises? And I was like, I don't know. They, they, you know, they made them. And she was like, how did they make those? How did they make the penises? Did they, did they take them from people? And I said to her, well, I guess they would take it from the artist. And she said, a penis artist? Is that what they called the people that chopped off all of those poor men's penises? 
And then there was silence between us for like a good 30 seconds. And I burst into full crying laughter because she had thought that I was talking about real life penises, like human penises just being chopped off of men and like placed along the sidewalks. And we we just died. We died laughing. It was a great story. And in fact, when I was doing this research, I called her up and we talked about it and had another hilarious laugh. So just a little public service announcement. The people of Pompeii did not chop off penises to use them as decoration. Thank you so much for listening in this week. And, uh, you know, I just thought of this. If you want to play a, uh, a drinking game where you take a drink every time I say the word penis and you are of legal age in whatever country you are listening to, I am not advocating underage drinking. Please be responsible with your drinking. Please, please, please. But it would be hilarious if you did that. Just saying, if you need some quarantine games, there's one for you. But anyways... That's all I have for you this week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Pompeii and Peepees. If you like this episode, please subscribe if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Leave a review if you feel so inclined. And head on over to the For the Love of Histories Instagram to see all of the pictures that I talked about in this episode. And you know what? If you're feeling frisky, why not leave a comment? Why not, uh, you know, reply to one of the stories? Whatever you feel like, get a little engagement in if it tickles your fancy. Just a reminder, next week is the second installment of the Empress Baddie series. And we're talking about a cool one. But that's it. That's really all I got for you. Have a good day, a good night, a good afternoon, or whatever, wherever you are. And I'll talk to you in the next one. Bye. Why is there a metronome right now? Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs>